My name is Bayan Rice. I'm a third generation wine grower, and I've been making wine for over two decades here in Santa Barbara wine country. It's more than a job, it's a calling. Join me as I talk to my fellow winemakers in a series that is a candid conversation between winemakers discussing their wines, their craft, and their lives over two glasses of wine. Here with Jill Russell from Cambria Winery. She's the winemaker there for the past two years. And I'm Bayan Rice, your host. And we are here in Santa Barbara wine country. And thank you for joining me to discuss your wines. This is going to be very interesting to me because I come from a very small family boutique winery experience for the last quarter century. (laughs) And you guys have been around for about as long. However, Kendall Jackson purchased the Tepesque Bench and started Cambria Winery many years before us. And so I've seen that vineyard blossom and become internationally acclaimed thanks to to their family. And they really had vision as far as running a a larger wine business and allowing winemakers at each site to have their own autonomy and their own creative capacity to make wines, craft wines from the site. Tell me about that. What is that like for you to, to be a part of a bigger group, but yet still have your creative expression? I think it's pretty special coming in and thinking, okay, I'm part of something bigger, but actually It's a family there. So these cellar guys that have been there 25 years, 20 years, they really do care for Barbara and the daughters, Julia and Catherine. You are right. She just lets us do our thing. And, you know, if anything, we're asked, what do you need to make the best wine, Jill? What would you like? And I'm like, okay. um, I've always worked for smaller wineries and was used to using more two-ton fermenters. So we have five ton, 10 tons. And then I just got a bunch of two-ton fermenters. So it's it's pretty special that she just wants you to make the best wine and really show off the estate that is really near and dear to their heart. Some people say, oh, when was Cambria acquired? When were you purchased? That's not it. The, we are the second winery. So Kendall Jackson's was started. They actually purchased the Tepescay bench for Kendall Jackson. But since it's such a special place, that's when they decided to make it its own estate. They are investing a lot to make it really shine for for years to come. And I know they've invested a lot into not only the vineyards, but into the marketing of the Santa Barbara County brand. And we're all very grateful of that. It's um, fun to be kind of a part of that and not just Cambria alone. It's mm-hmm. let's all bring up Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about the vineyards when, when they first purchased the Tepesque bench and it was Uriel Nielsen that planted those. He was really one of the earliest commercial growers in the county of Santa Barbara. I, I understand that they didn't know what to plant back in those days. So they were planting Riesling and Cabernet Sauvignon and all these different varieties in a, a cool climate. And then of course we became more knowledgeable about what to plant in the right climates. Did you ever get a chance to taste any of those wines that came from that early phase? No, but Denise, who is the general manager, she was making wine at Corbett Canyon in Etta Valley, and a lot of fruit was coming off from down here, and it was Cabernet, and she said it was terrible. So (laughs) we're all very happy that they figured out what does really well. Um, Actually, what's funny is going through and tasting, you know, for harvest, going out to the vineyard, we actually found a Gewürztraminer vine still oh, wow. intact that didn't get grafted way back when so we picked a bunch of it and took it to the winery like can you guys guess what it is so mm-hmm. and then a lot of the rootstock that's still original is from cabernet and then i don't think we talk about it enough but we do have own rooted uh, chardonnay there mm. that's 
you know, from the 70s that have survived. There's some older vines that we've replanted because they, you know, just from farming and over years, they're tired, but mm -hmm. so, some of them are still thriving really well. What yields kind of yields are you still getting? Four tons? Yeah, really? even more. Yeah, wow. yeah. Hmm. They do really well. That's so amazing. hopefully we'll just keep on taking care of them nicely and they'll go for another five to 10 years. Yeah. So tell me about your journey. How, how did you get here and how did you find yourself in Santa Barbara wine country? So I knew I wanted to be in the wine scene after catering in Livermore County up north. Got into UC Davis and Cal Poly. I said I'd go to Cal Poly and then do my master's at Davis. But then I realized you just have to work. <laughs> That's what you need to do. So after Cal Poly, I made sure to work for a great winemaker. I worked for Stephen Dooley, for Stephen Ross. So he started out as an Edna Valley winemaker and then started his own brand. And it was when he had his own winery and needed someone to kind of fill as a assistant winemaker, a tasting room, a little bit of everything. And I think that's good to see every side of the business because it all works together and that was amazing so I was there for five years and that's when I first started working with Santa Barbara fruit with Bienacito and going through and punching down you could tell there was something different about this fruit and that always intrigued me and just tasting some of our friends wines from Santa Barbara I was always triggered into what's going on down in Santa Barbara and then after five years I actually went to France and did a harvest nice. so just I was jealous of all my, all my friends running around and I felt like I needed to do it and not knowing French at all, <laughs> going to a small village. It really, I was in my head a lot and just thinking what kind of winemaker do I want to do, be and what kind of wines do I want to make. How I came back really wanting to you know, focus in actually down, down here in Santa Barbara. So um, worked for a couple places, but found myself at Palato, which, oh, nice. yeah. That's so again, famous. making sure yeah. I work for the right, learning under some great winemakers and not only Palato being um, a great winemaker, I was working at Central Coast Wine Services. So I'm surrounded by um, talent. And, and Central Coast Wine Services is like a cooperative. Yes. So there's multiple wineries under there's the same no roof walls, and you get to know all the other winemakers and share equipment, share tanks. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. You're kind of on your own space, but always exchanging ideas. I just talked to Seth Coonan a lot, mm -hmm. Josh Clapper, Graham Tatomer was across the way. So I can go around and um, really grow from all the winemakers, not just where I was at. And I think that's, it was a sense of community and I kind of get that in Santa Barbara, in that building, all different wines were being made. So yes, I was Chardonnay and Pinot Noir focused, but I can go down and they're a bunch of Rhones being made down the way. So I think that was a great spot to be and just be able to network and get to know a bigger part of Santa Barbara. And then that's what led me to Cambria. So I remember my first taste of wine and it was a sweet wine and it just made my mind blow up. It was so good and, it, and I actually switched from drinking you know, beer and other beverages to specifically Zinfandel. I fell in love with Zin. Tell me about your first wine and did that inspire you to get into the wine business? So my first wine was Sangiovese, randomly. What I fell in love with was everything about wine, the food, the beauty of the vineyard. I catered at a winery and instead of being out at high school parties, I was working and then enjoying the wine scene there. So the food and the beauty. So I 
I knew I wanted to get into wine. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to be a vineyard manager when I stepped into Cal Poly, so it was viticulture focused. And I worked in the vineyard and I realized I don't want to be hot and dusty. <laughs> so then I switched to the wine making and at Cal Poly they make you take a quarter off and you work in a winery. And that there I just had them, I was just thrown everywhere and I just fell in love with it. I actually stayed working nights stirring barrels just while I went to school just because I was in love with the smells mm -hmm. and in love with everything about it. And I know the vineyard, it all starts in the vineyard. I just didn't want to be hot in the vineyard. I don't mind working hard in the cold winery. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I feel the same way, by the way. I love being out in the vineyard, but working in the vineyard is a whole nother conversation. Yes, yeah. That's why we appreciate everything they do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So along the way, I've had a few falls in terms of making mistakes and making some pretty bad wines, and, but those were great mistakes. I mean, I learned a lot from them. Did you ever have any failings that you're willing to share? I think because I've always been the assistant winemaker, so was, I worked for great smart winemakers that we didn't do too many experiments or trials. They knew what they were doing, they were good at it. And so I don't, I haven't had too many. I think wine showers here and there happen all the time. So those were just silly, disconnecting the wrong clamp here and there. Mm -hmm. But um, so far so good, making great wines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so today I brought to share with you, it's pretty fun because it's our Catherine's Vineyard Chardonnay. So what we're really known for, I wanted to bring my 2017, 2017, so it's uh, being released now and everyone's been waiting. So I started Harvest 2017. So these are now getting into bottle and being released. So I thought that would be fun. I was there to help blend in bottle 2016, but uh, 17 is the start to finish my, my beginning to end. And this one is, a big portion of it is from our old vine, so about 80% uh, planted in 70 and 71. And when you wow. come there, that's really special for us That's there. a year after I was born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these vines are really pretty old. And for a winemaker to walk into a situation and have these available to me is pretty, pretty awesome. Because usually you're seeking out those old vines and in Cambria, we have them there. Absolutely, so this is the Catherine's Vineyard, uh, what yeah. vintage? 2017. Okay, 2017. Yeah. And is it 100% barrel? So it's uh, because because I wanted to get to know the blocks, I would bring in blocks separately or bring them down to barrels, half and then half stainless. So it's about 40% stainless steel fermentation mm -hmm. and 60% barrel. So we've been known as classically barrel fermented Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. Denise, who has been the winemaker for 20 years, she's now the general manager she started doing stainless in 15. So then we just kind of been doing a little bit. And really I was just trying to get to know the block. So seeing them two different fermentations, but I think the stainless steel portion still goes to neutral oak barrels and still gets stirred for the body. Okay, got it. I'm a big fan of the combination of stainless steel blended with the oak, you know, fermented styles to kind of get that mouthfeel and richness from the barrel fermented, but the crispness with the, from the stainless, the stainless steel. Yeah, me too. And getting that blend is something you do at the very end, which you got to be a part of right that's what's fun is um i always every winemaker says oh it starts in the vineyard which it is our own vineyard so having a state grown produced and bottled mm. is really special to have total control and matt the vineyard manager has been there forever the farming team they're always celebrating 25 years 20 years definitely the newbie but to have that control in the vineyard treating each block separately bringing it in and we're fermenting everything separately 
where I think as a winemaker I'm putting a stamp on the wines are, are the blends. So bringing in and, you know, did I like this stainless steel clone or this? And then um, what it comes out to be is what makes the best blend. I'm really picking up some nice tropical notes and a little bit of actually mango. I don't know if you're getting that. The, but. Yeah, and that's something that talk we talk about a lot at the bench having this tropical note. I mean, the acid is there too, but different areas of the vineyard sometimes bring the pear or the citrus. And that is true, the, the, like this exuberant tropical fruit. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's delicious. Well done. So you, you like making Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Have you ever dappled in any other varieties? A little bit. So I made sure to work for some great winemakers and they were always Pinot Noir and Chardonnay focused but it was fun that they always had some kind of client they'd make wine for. So I got to make Paso Cab and then Happy Canyon Cabernet, Syrah. So a little bit of everything, but always majority was Chardonnay and mm -hmm, Pinot. Mm -hmm. Tell me about these wines in terms of their price points and how much you made, like volume of wine you've created. Yeah, so this one you can find a lot of places. It's about 44,000 cases mm -hmm. and I think it's $22, $25. Okay. So, so it's a really great price. Yeah, I sometimes am blown away when I'm pouring the wine for people and then they're like, price, I'm like, oh yeah, but oh, it's so... Yeah, I mean, for, for it, being a state and a single vineyard wine, mm -hmm. I think it's a really good price point. I mean, this is it smells like a forty dollars Chardonnay Thank to me. Thank you. So, yeah, you know, I, I know. I get surprised sometimes. Like, Cambria oh, yeah, is um, being really responsible with their price points, in my opinion. Yeah. So this is our two thousand sixteen Julia's Vineyard Pinot Noir, and I wanted to bring this again because Julia and Catherine. Oh, no. They're daughters of our proprietor Barbara, and the Pinot is named after Julia and the Chardonnay is named after Catherine. Oh, okay. So that's where the single vineyard names come in. And then when you come to our tasting room, we have five different Chardonnays, nine different Pinots, different clones, different blocks that we like to showcase. But this is kind of both blends of our, our estate and um, really showing off these old vines with the new vines. And at 16, I was there to help blend and bottle. And uh, what we do with all it sounds like it's one vineyard, but when you go out to the estate, you know, everyone knows all the different blocks are really like their own vineyards with these different soil types and different clones. So that's all coming in separately and fermented separately, but at least I was there able to blend and really get to know the different blocks and how we're matching different barrels with different clones. I had the privilege of trying these wines in the early 90s and it smells exactly the same it smells like julia's yeah huh? <laughs> it's so distinctive and i i just love cool climate pinot noir coming from santa maria and you really are the pioneers you, you really were one of the first to really take chardonnay and pinot noir and make it santa barbara yeah we were talking about how the vineyard some of it still has rootstocks of cabernet so they planted a little bit of everything there way back when and then realized Cab doesn't do so well. The Chardonnay and Pinot Noir really thrives in that cool climate area, the fog and the wind. And we talk about the east-west mountain range. When you come there, we really like to point out like there's the ocean and this is, you know, sometimes it's dangerous for me to go to work and then the sun comes out and that uh, wind really cools things down. With the, we have a lot of old vine clone four, so again planted in the mm, 70s. Nice. And then now some of our plantings that uh, they started redeveloping in 94, 95, and those are even a little bit older, and then even some 2012 plantings. Again, putting some newer material out there, different rootstocks, different clones, just all mm -hmm. the education we've all learned for, with viticulture. So it's a nice blend of having, again, just like the Chardonnay, we like to show off those old vines, 
clone four for Chardonnay and clone four for Pinot, but a little bit of different clones to kind of add the fruit to. And then there's a lot of texture in this wine. Something we really love is that we get more than just fruit. You said you can, you, it smells like Santa Barbara, Santa Maria, mm -hmm. there's a savory spice to it. Mm -hmm. Even um, other winemakers that source from Julia's, you're tasting it and there, you can taste Julia's. Absolutely. I love the balance of the oak to the fruit. You've done a really good job on, on not overpowering the fruit with the oak. Tell me about your barrel regime and you know what's your philosophy on oak? Yeah, aging? barrels, um, I think for a winemaker is so fun because it's a lot of, you know, you're doing a lot of work in the vineyard, especially Pinot Noir needs to be touched so many times. But barrels are so fascinating to me. We're lucky that we have a partnership um, with uh, World Cooperage mm -hmm. and we have a stave mill in France. So I actually, on vacation in France, I just went there in nice. the Vosges forest and really saw how, what are the different forests bringing? And then when you go to a Cooper, all the different toasts. So I think that's gonna be a continued education for anyone just cause that technology is improving. And then as our vineyard develops into something different, just because this Cooper and this toast worked on this clone at one time, I can play an experiment. So. I don't like saying experiment, more trialing. So I like to take different barrel coopers and toasts and really try to match things. But I mean, it's about 20% new oak. Um, mm, okay. I, I like oak, so I like what it does to Chardonnay and Pinot. I'm not afraid of it. I do want to just have it add something to the wine. I don't want it to be all about the oak for sure. And with Pinot Noir, there's different philosophies on length of aging in barrel. I know some people like to go two to three years. What's your... This wine, we only do about eight to 10 months. So the idea is it is a nice by the glass Pinot, easy mm -hmm. drinking, good with food, but we do have some reserve wines that we will hold through harvest and do 14, 16 month mm -hmm. aging. And that we also do barrel fermentation. So we take heads off new barrels. I've heard about this, that Cambria does this and I've done it at other wineries and we do it to a lot of barrels. Hmm. So our guys know how to take the heads off easily. Really? We actually hmm. de-stem into brand new oak barrels. So that's actually being 100% new oak, but we age back into those barrels. So really? they, we drain and press back in. So it's kind of getting like twice used. So it's really well integrated, but I think that longer aging time helps integrate that oak. Way to so. maximize the <laughs> economics of the barrel. That's yeah. really interesting. I've never heard of that before. So we, it all started, Denise ended up doing it just kind of on the side and it, we make a wine called Barbara. So Julia mm -hmm. and Catherine, their names are on all the wines cause that's mm -hmm. the vineyard names, but we do make a Barbara's and she loves clone 667. So it's clone 667 and we really wanted to make it special and stand out. And now we do um, a few different clones that way with the, you know, the guys love it cause it's something fun and we have our own little like area for the hand punch downs. And it's a lot of, a lot of work that goes into it. Always a lot of work <laughs> yeah. in the wine business. People yeah. don't realize how much, you know, it's not that love, glamorous. <laughs> I'd like to say it goes yeah. into it. It's a truly passionate business. Two Glasses In has been brought to you by Visit Santa Barbara. There are seaside escapes, then there's a gentle crescent of California coast connecting breathtaking beaches, soaring mountains, verdant vineyards, elevated enclaves, and eclectic communities. More than beautiful, it's Santa Barbara brilliant. Visit SantaBarbaraCA.com to plan your stay. Why don't you kind of go into, if you don't mind, more of your, your vineyard plans? Like, how do you farm your fruit? What's your trellising orientation, soil types, etc.? If we have um, a little bit of everything, especially those older vines, now that we've 
the technology that we have and the education, you see that the, when we're replanting, we're really going with the, the slope of the vineyard and where there used to be two blocks, now there's maybe 16 blocks, mm. really doing, going with the soil types and the hillsides. So seeing those developments, they're not messing around, they're really wanting to make it great. And what's really exciting is we're actually, we did some cuttings from our old vines that we really like. Actually, it's called Camelot. It's up on the hillside behind our estate. And Randy Olam, the KJ wine master, calls it the filet of filet in California. We took cuttings, and it's actually at UC Davis getting cleaned up and propagated. So we're going to replant oh, wow. kind of a heritage clone. I don't know what it's going to be called. Maybe Randy. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that's going to be exciting to work with that in the future, too. Wow, that's great. So it sounds like there's kind of a, a bunch of different camps. There's the vineyard camp who manage the vines, and then there's the cellar crew, and you oversee that. <clears throat> How much say do you have in the wine growing aspect of the business in terms of, you know, a lot of people believe you really make wine in the vineyard. And so when you're making decisions out in the vineyard, you're affecting what you're going to receive in the cellar. Do you have a say in the growing yeah. decisions? Actually, Matt Mahoney, our vineyard manager, his office is right across from me, which I think that's for a reason, so that we're constantly talking and going out to different blocks. So even just pruning. So we're, we can stand between four different blocks and each block is being pruned differently for different reasons. And I think that's good instead of just sweeping across the whole vineyard and saying we're doing this on everything, mm -hmm. we have a say. And then when it comes to leafing, I'm going out, okay, can we do a little bit more on this morning side, depending on the road direction. So going out there with him, I mean, he's been doing it for years, so I have a lot of faith in him. But it's nice that he does want me to come out with him and he does want my say. And maybe we'll do a little bit of, again, not experimenting. It's more trialing in one block, do a couple different leafing and fruit thinning three different ways. And then I'll bring it into the winery and ferment them differently. Just again, for our own knowledge and how it helps out the wine. So having a say in the vineyard is really important. And again, where I've worked before, we were sourcing from all over Santa Barbara, which was amazing. But to get to every vineyard, it took eight to 10 hours to really check in on things. Now I'm at a winery in the middle of the vineyard. So I can go out anytime, especially during harvest, I'm going out multiple times a day for those picking decisions to have that, you know, it's right here. It's pretty awesome. So harvest is upon us and yes. it's right around the corner. When's your first pick, do you know? I am guessing second week of September. Mm -hmm. And that's a little later than normal, correct? I, later than the past few years. Actually last year, it was lining up with last year. And I feel like mm -hmm. the past five years have been early, but then before the five years, it's kind of normal-ish. Even I was reading something about Cambrian. It was like, we usually start harvest in October. And I was like, that hasn't happened for years. Right. <laughs> so September, the guys haven't gotten Labor Day off in a long time, but I think we might have it off. It's a really long cycle, a long hang time, if you will, for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. I hear a lot of wineries are already picking Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. So, you know, and, and we're right now, we're, you know, beginning of August. So I guess that's a good thing, right? The long hang time. It, yeah. More, more physiological ripeness and complexity on the vine as a result of being on the vine longer? The hang time for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't even completed Verasion yet. So one thing about those older vines, they hang on the longest actually. So, and they're not spiking in bricks, so they're still at 21, but just those flavors. And as long as they're looking good and the weather's nice enough developing those flavors and letting them hang on and i kind of 
I'm not in the early camp or the later camp and having the estate and that control, I'll go in and go to a block and do an earlier pick and then I'll go in and do a later pick. Again, Matt, the vineyard manager, probably needs to say no to me here and there because <laughs> he lets me do whatever. Like, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do this. And he's like on board as long as we're making the best wine. To having that kind of like a little bit of earlier, a little bit of later, and again, then later the, the blending is where it all happens. Well, let's get into the cellar. I have some questions that have been on my mind, especially for you being a Burgundian winemaker. There's been a trend over the last decade to cold soak their reds to really pick up as much color and flavor out of the skins before fermentation starts. Is that something that you do? And is there any other methods prior to the fermentation that you utilize? I think something that, and so again, I made sure I worked for great winemakers and that was something that was instilled in me, that cold soak. And it's changed from, you know, diff longer time to low mm -hmm. less days and what, what's the perfect day. And then there's studies on, but we, we do around five day cold soak. And then if wow. something does want to go a little bit earlier, then mm -hmm. let's go. But we will try to do that cold soak. So you keep it at about 40 degrees and kind of just halt natural native yeast fermentation from kicking in. And you do that really to keep the to pull more color out of out of the skins, but also to keep that almost cool soak period and extended time on the skins, right? Yeah, is that the idea? Exactly. And then tell me about yeast. What kind of yeasts do you like to use? So, or is that proprietary knowledge? No, <laughs> I mean I think we have our kind of go-tos that ever a lot of Burgundian winemakers use, but we have been having a lot of fun doing different trials. So with these smaller tanks going through and again, same with vineyard all the technology that's we've learned all the yeast we can have fun with and mm -hmm. that's helping with with these blends later as well so maybe taking that block and separating it into four different tanks and doing four different yeast so we're just kind of having fun with it getting to know different things but we use rc212 and william salem yeast oh william salem which is up in sonoma yeah yeah so the dry yeast mm -hmm. that yeah it's a lot of experimentation it sounds like I'm or trials. lucky that, yeah, a lot of trials. I don't want people to think I'm experimenting and going to change the wine too much right. or do something crazy, but I'm lucky to have a lab that, you know, they've been, they used to work at Vinquery. They really know what they're doing. I do think that's a lot of science involved in winemaking, but also a lot of how does it feel and the agriculture. So tying that all in, but being able to have the numbers and then someone that's helping you track these trials so you can do things in the winery, but you need to be able to keep it in an organized fashion so that you can look back, oh, what did we do five years ago? What worked? What didn't work? So, Do you do any whole cluster fermentations? We don't. So something with um, San Marino Pinot, I think you get a lot of the savory and spice already. Um, I have worked with whole cluster in the past, but we do, it's a mostly 100% destemmed, mm -hmm. especially with the older clone four material. Some of these newer plantings with different clones, I might play around with a little bit, but I think the de-stemming, that's mm -hmm. kind of the camp I'm in. For and sure. I would imagine you have access to all of the state-of-the-art technology. Do you have berry sorting with laser beams? No, and... we don't have the berries. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, nothing too crazy. All right, so it's really, you know, old methods, but in a state-of-the-art facility, I would imagine. So you also have a great team and you're a team leader, which requires a lot of capability and experience you're a young winemaker and you have a huge future ahead of you and you have this amazing brand that you're working for and I would imagine a great team. Tell me about the team and, and what it's like working with them. Yeah, so I tell them I'll be here the next 30 years because I really will. It's a dream job for me. 
and I think it, a winemaker means a lot to the wine, but also the people that are farming and the people that are making the wine. We have two cellar foremans that just celebrated 25 years, wow. and then the, everyone's been there. I think the average year is now 15 years. That's amazing. So um, coming in and being new, and then um, Denise has been there 20 years, the general manager. Everyone's been there a really long time. It's nice to kind of come in and say like, hello, let's try these things, but also, it's very dialed in. They, the facility works really well and they really care. It's not just a clock in, clock out job. They care about the family. They care about sales. Oh, how was your, if I go on a sales trip, they want to know every little detail. Did people like the wine? I'll probably tell them about this interview. You know, <laughs> this is like, they're very into what's going on with Cambria and we have potlucks and we have barbecues and we play volleyball. So it's fun that every day we come to work and really love our job. And I think that's important to people in the wine industry because we really do put our heart into it and our a lot of our time and then to be surrounded by people that feel the same way um, is really special. It sounds like they're not there just to punch the clock and yeah. that they're like family to you now. It's like your new family. Yeah, I really do feel that way, yeah. which is really nice. And now I'm focused in Santa Maria, but I do feel connected to the whole region. Living in Los Alamos is a, a small little town, but it's are surrounded by vineyards and food scene and wine scene and just and Bob's well bread my yes, favorite Bob's, place yes, in the world dangerous yeah um, and flatbread and what what are some of your other favorite restaurants uh, there? we go to Bell's a lot and they have flatbread and Pico mm -hmm. and when you anytime you're going to these restaurants you're seeing everyone in the industry whether right. it be even from people out of town but I call it winemaker town yeah you know. Yeah, we're, some of us are moved in living there, and then if you're not living there, you're dining there. So it's always yeah. fun to, just last night, oh, when do you think Harvest is coming? Okay, like, and it's a nice little community there. So let's talk about that. I One of my favorite aspects of Santa Barbara wine country is the culture. You know, there's such a sh sense of sharing and community. And we started out in this industry as the 24th winery, and now there's over 200. And that beginning feeling of, you know, being collaborative with other wineries and sharing knowledge and sharing equipment started out between the Rice family and the Parker family. And, and we just felt so welcomed to the Valley. I still get that sense today. I would imagine you felt that recently as well. And I personally think it's one of the greatest parts of what we do is that, that sense of community. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not just at Central Coast Wine Services, but just all the different events and being kind of a newbie to the community i've been welcomed by so many people so many mentors um, even just at cambria we have an artisan program so hitching post byron lumen so lane tanner back in the day uh, different people are sourcing from our vineyard and hearing how that came about and the 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 dedication to those winemakers when there, you know, the yields were down. We could have just taken it for Cambria, but Jess Jackson was very into the community and saying, no, let's get to the tons that you guys deserve. And everyone is pretty connected and care for each other. It sounds like the late Jess Jackson and now his wife, Barbara Banky is, is pretty much running the company, correct? Yeah. It sounds like they just really get business and they understand, you know, the bottom up uh, way of operating their business and it's obviously paying off because they make beautiful wines across the board and everybody seems really happy to work for them. 
So tell me about the future. What does it look like for not just for Cambria, but your own career and your, your focus and your winemaking? I think since the vineyard is so vast, we have tons to learn. And we made our home in Los Alamos for a reason, because I'll be there for a long time, but really growing with Cambria, with Santa Barbara, actually, I think it's great that really get a sense of the history that we've had, and then we're just gonna keep on growing in the, in the future. I love that. So tell me, where can people find your wines? Winery in the middle of the vineyard, so is our beautiful tasting room. So we have the tasting room there, open every day. We have some great people that have been, just like the cellar crew's been there forever, they've been there forever. Mm -hmm. People come in probably to just hang out with them because they're so lovely um, and to taste the wonderful wines. And when you go there, I've talked about, these are kind of our main wines, the Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and we have multiple different Pinots, multiple Chardonnays, but what's fun is we also do a Viognier and Syrah. Mm. And talking about the Tepesquet bench, we kept those vineyards as the, that name. So it's Tepesquet Vineyard, Viognier, and Syrah. We have seven acres of each, and it's fun for me to be able to, Chardonnay and Pinot are in my heart, I love them, but it's fun to be able to work with these varieties, especially Syrah. I feel like winemakers just love Syrah, love oh, yeah. drinking it, love making it, and to be able to bring that to barbecues and say, look what, we make something else. Um, a nice, cool climate Syrah that's really special. Um, on your Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, are they available around the country or specific areas, mostly in California, I would presume? Yeah, California is a really big market and it is all over the US, certain mm -hmm. markets for sure. New York is a popular one in Florida. So stores and also, I would imagine, restaurants. Yes, and, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we actually have a couple, um, a Chardonnay and Pinot that's only for restaurants, like an on-premise only. And the Viognier and Syrah does get out to the market, actually. Really? A, a little bit. Nice. Um, just because, again, you, we want to show that the whole ranch, what else we can do besides the Chardonnay and Pinot. Um, this wine is really good, by the way. <laughs> it's really good. I know. I say this all the time. Wow, we make good wine. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, at that scale, you would never expect this. And this smell, smells and tastes like handcrafted boutique wine. And so kudos to you for yeah. being able to achieve that. Well, I'll tell you what, Cambria has a lot of heritage in Santa Barbara. What would be your story in terms of the, the Cambria story? How would you describe it to people? I think what makes Cambria special is the estate grown, produced, and bottled. So from start to finish, having that total control, winery in the middle of the vineyard. The vineyard has so much history there just with the different, you know, these old vines that tell a story in itself. So we even do certain bottlings that showcase those old mm. vines. The We'd have a clone for Chardonnay and a clone for Pinot, just to talk about that history, the devotion that the family has to continue the legacy of the vineyard and the winery, just kind of all the precision farming and all the technology, huge in sustainability. I think everyone is working on that. The solar panels, not just in the vineyard, but in the winery, I think Sustainability is also, you know, having these workers loving their job. So making it a great place to work. If you're happy and like your job, you're going to make great wines. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What's your takeaway when you go to dinner? Is there a particular wine that you like to take? Or actually, better yet, I've heard you like um, marrying Chardonnay with steak. You've got to tell me that story. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so really, I just love Chardonnay with anything and everything. And I think it really hurts my heart when people say they don't like Chardonnay. But Chardonnay can be so many different things. So if you just give it a chance. So I try to pair that with everything. Yeah, so when we're barbecuing outside, Chardonnay all the way, yeah. 
I have to tell you a story that I tell a lot of my friends. You know, wine is very subjective and a lot of it has to do with the experience around the wine. And so it doesn't necessarily need to be a 60 or $80 bottle of wine to blow your mind. I had a great experience with one of my, my best men in my wedding. We were, before I was married, we were at Malibu Beach and we only had 20 bucks in our pocket. We had just been playing volleyball all day. And uh, he said, hey, let's go get some swordfish and, and we'll just grill it out here on the beach at the park. And so we went to Vaughn's and we picked up a bottle of Kendall Jackson Chardonnay for $9.99, I believe it was. And then we bought a swordfish filet and we went out to the park and we just sat there and we opened a bottle and just shared the bottle. I mean, we passed literally the bottle back no and forth. No cups, no plastic cups. No. The swordfish tasted so good and the wine with the swordfish and the sunset and the conversation was just mind blowing. And I always tell people that was one of my all time favorite wine experiences. So it really comes down to a combination of obviously good wine. It's got to be good wine, but it also has to be a great experience. Yeah. The experience I think is a, a lot to do with it and the energy in the wine, the energy in the place, what's going on around you. It isn't just this glass of wine. So exactly. Yeah. Well, Jill, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for, yeah. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Cheers. Cheers. Two Glasses In was created and produced by Rafael A. Ruiz and Brian Rice. This show has been produced in conjunction with Visit Santa Barbara. Co-produced by Jesse Lynn Perkins, Alex Blackmon, and John M. Chalafant. Sound by John M. Chalafant and music by Peter Seibert. Special thanks goes to Jill Russell and Cambria Winery. Two Glasses In is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review. 2020 Rareworks LLC.